Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. My name is Greg McDonough, your host. I'm the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors and the chapter president of the Washington, D.C. Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, today's guest is a very successful and experienced entrepreneur, a trilingual traveler of the world, an EODC chapter board member, the co-founder of the Tasting Society, and also the co-founder of Own, Owner of the List, Olivier McGank. Hey, Olivier. How's it going? Doing great. Nice to have you. Nice to be here, virtually. <laughs> um, so let's just jump right into it. You know, our focus on this show is leadership. And I'd be curious um, of what misconceptions you've seen in leadership. I think that there are many and um, you find yourself a little bit battling through all of those. Um, but they also come a little bit as a blur. I think the ones that really speak out to me the most would be the way that your team looks up to you, maybe a bit, you know, the glamorous lifestyle that everybody expects you have. And then, you know, that very elusive leopard that we always looking for the work-life balance uh, thing, you know, that just, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, that last one certainly is. Um, let's dig in a little bit deeper into the, the team looks up to you. Explain that in a little bit more detail. So I, the way I'm looking at it like this, it's um, I, I will look up to um, my brother or my father or you know a, a friend's father, someone who is successful, but it's not my boss. Uh, it's not someone which I work for. And, and obviously, I don't expect this from my employees, for them to look up to me and say, oh, you know, you're my hero and whatnot. I, I expect to, for them to obviously see what I'm doing and, and, and get motivation to further improve their workload and further improve you know the way that they are contributing to the company uh, but I, I don't i don't see it as them looking up to you as, as a hero right um, um, there's many heroes today in the world that we've seen coming on tv recently which many people will look up to but it's not the same thing when you're when you're an employee working for an employer and and i don't see that being i think i, I think that's a total misconception uh, you are a leader and you're, you're showing to everyone which is the path to move forward and and what is your uh, idea that you would like to try and push forward uh, to be able to make your product success, successful or, or to make your, your company successful. Uh, and, and your team needs to be on board with that. That does not necessarily mean that they look up to you. Interesting. Interesting. I know <clears throat> through my experience of running businesses and even prior to that, um, when I was an employee, you know, I was an employee at Fannie Mae for many years and I would always look up to my boss and the CFO and the CEO and when I became a CFO and a CEO, it didn't feel as glamorous as I was making mm. it out to be when I was that employee sitting in that cubicle. Correct, correct, correct. And, and, and I, again, I think very clear misconception of, of thinking that, oh yeah, once I'm up there, you know, I've got it all rolling for me. You know, I, don't, I can go out for lunch for as long as I want and so on. But no, man, your responsibility is just double or triple or quadruple. 
you know, and suddenly you're just not only working for yourself, you're also working for the people around you and you're making sure that you keep those people, you know, fed and then, you know, the lights on and, and you're know, moving on and getting their kids through school and whatnot and, and any other challenges that they may have. So the, the glamorous lifestyle, unfortunately, I think fizzles away the moment you start climbing up on the ladder. So, uh, or, or maybe if you are at such a level that you have like 25 personal assistants, but then that means then, you know, you and I wouldn't be talking at that moment, right? I mean, I'd be stuck at somewhere on some island. I'll say, talk to my PA, uh, you know, do the recording with my PA because then you'll have the glamorous lifestyle. But, you know, that's not, that's the 1%, right? That's not us. That's what we work towards, right? Hopefully at some point, I don't know if all of us are going to get there, but yeah, yeah, we try, we try. It, we might have our Instagram moments where we can, you know, very nicely have um, skiing trips or whatnot and so on and islands and so on. But those are shortly lived. It's not like you're living a glamorous lifestyle 24-7 all day long. That just doesn't happen. You also, you also touched on work-life balance, and it's kind of a, an outcome of this glamorous lifestyle. I, let's dig into the work-life balance a little bit deeper. Where have you, when you started your entrepreneurial path, what was your um, what was your belief of what your balance was going to be compared to what it was once you got into the thick of things? You know, when I started off uh, in my career, I and I would still consider myself very young. I believe I am twenty seven, although I am a couple of years more than that, a couple more more than that. Uh, but when I started off in my career, um, the 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 work life balance didn't really exist. It wasn't really important. The important was, you know, working, making a difference, you know, getting something to grow, making money. That was the big thing on, on, on my agenda, right? So it was not necessarily like, I need to do this because I want to get there. It was, no, I want to make money and I want to grow and I want to do this and I want to understand and, and I want to, you know, go as far as I can with, with, with whatever I have. And there were challenging moments at, at that time where you're like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, survive this. And by that, I mean, you know, working till I was based in China that moment and then, you know, working till 2 or 3 a.m. because, you know, Europe was, you know, waking up later in the day. And so I would work a little bit longer with them. Then, you know, cycle home in the middle of the night. Although it was great. It was a safe city, uh, not too far living. Uh, but then, yeah, waking up in the morning, totally kaput and being back at the office by 10 o'clock. Uh, you know, and then you know, grinding the whole day again from, from, from my office. Um, when I uh, returned back to Uganda and, and you know, further expanded my, my family business with my mother, then obviously then the work-life balance came to the point where, you know, I was picking up calls until midnight, one o'clock, a ah, guy stuck somewhere in Beirut or, you know, Dubai or whatnot, he needs to fly out now, you know, wake up your staff, manage all the expectations, manage all the clients uh, you know, and the staff and everything else. And so, yeah, you basically just work 24 seven. And, and then, you know, my mother would always say, like, how hard did you work for those $20? Was it really a quick $20 or was it, you know, a really hard earned $20? And then you realize that, you know, your work-life balance is gone. But I don't think it really hit me until I became a father. And once I became a father, then you realize that, you know, your priorities are not just to your business and to your employees, although they are a very important part of it and you feel very responsible for them. But then, yeah, you, the first year, I think as parents, we, many of us can, can relate. It's a total write-off. I mean, just mentally and, and physically, <laughs> sleep-wise, I mean, I barely slept last night again. So uh, the, the point is that, you know, you realize that I need to start reorganizing my, my, my work-life balance and, and making sure that I give more to my family than I give to my business. 
But as an entrepreneur, you keep on wanting to give to your business because it's like, if I don't put water there, it doesn't grow. And then the flower needs to grow. So I need to keep on watering it. But that watering takes a lot of time. Uh, but then the family is growing and they're just there. They're just, you know, pulling on your legs and saying, come, let's go, let's go, let's go play to the park. Let's do this, let's do that. I need to be fed. I need to be, my diaper needs to be changed. I need to sleep. And then you're juggling everything. And, and I believe that the work-life balance is borderline a myth. You may get that, but you may get that much, much later in your life. And that is when maybe your kids are starting to move out or have moved out of the house and, and you know, they're making their own lives, uh, you know, but then what part of the career does work-life balance really matter? It's, it's, I would believe the first part where you're growing up with your kids and your kids are growing up with you and you're sharing those intimate first moments, first steps, first, you know, feedings, first whatever. But much later, yeah, it's great to be, have a great life, a work-life balance, but your kids are growing up. They're already half of the time, you know, they'll be saying, okay, dad, just don't call me anymore. You know, I'll, I'll call you when I need you, right? And so, and then it's like, okay, so then where is the work-life balance? Where is the, the love of it? And for me, the love of it would be in the beginning. So it's, it's very hard to, to, to achieve that. Um, people, some people say that they're doing it and they're doing it great. I, I have my suspicion about it. I think like everyone, we all have our challenges and it becomes very difficult to line them up properly to have this perfect work-life balance. You may have some days where you're winning, but you'll have a lot of days when you're losing. So you got to kind of, you know, keep your head up and, and make sure that, you know, you don't let that drag you down. So, yeah. And I can only imagine that that becomes even more challenging when you're dealing with an international business Oh, yeah. that you have customers traveling uh -huh. the world and at any point at any time to your point they might be stuck in beirut and need yeah. to do something talk to yeah. us a little bit more about that international aspect of being of of running an international business well there's one thing that we're all bind to and i don't know who invented it but really if i could talk to him one day i would like to make a complaint it's something called time zones and that really really is annoying it's really really difficult to work in different time zones uh jokes aside um yeah when you're in the service industry and you're servicing clients who are bringing you a big chunk of business and who need to travel and who are not in the same time zone you just have no choice you need to be awake you need to be there it's not that you get called every single day, but you'll get called the day when you decide like, you know what, it's been quiet for the last two weeks. I'm going to go out for a beer with a buddy of mine. And you get home a little bit later. You may be not necessarily drunk or anything else, but you've had a one or two drinks. So you may be jolly. It's happened to me more than once. And then you have to deal with this problem. And maybe to my advantage, I had more patience at that moment, or I was a little bit more, you know, merry and the client liked it. And then, you know, it was okay. But I can imagine, you know, waking up from a deep sleep and then having to pick up that call and say, oh yeah, I know, yeah, okay, I'll work on it. And then, you know, just dragging your feet to get the service done. So working in, in international um, um, time zones has its complexions. There is some strength to it. The problem is that being in the United States, you're kind of at the end of the time zone. And maybe sometimes it's better to be a little bit earlier in the time zone so you can work with both. But once you're at the end of the time zone, well, you, everybody has already passed their day. You should actually just call up China now and ask, you know, what's the lottery numbers for tomorrow? Because I need them, you know. But um, so, so it, it, it is very complex uh, and, and it requires a lot of, of I'm going to say, grit, you know, nonstop giving, giving, giving. Um, and then, yeah, managing teams over those time zones is... There is a lot of 
okay, I'm, I'm handing over responsibility to you. You got to do this. You, you can do this. Uh, you, you're going to get through this, uh, you know, and, and being there as a support. And sometimes it's not over. You can't even call anymore. You have to do this over an email. And that becomes also very challenging because then you need to choose your words pro properly. And, and English is a second language for me and I don't speak it very well or, or write it very well. So when I communicate, I try and be as cautious and as, and as explicit as I can. It doesn't necessarily always come over that way. And I'm sure it's for everyone. The problem is it, there is no other way. So you have to kind of adapt to it. You know, the chameleon adapted to its environment and changed its color of its skin to make sure it wasn't picked out from the branch. And it's the same thing for us. You have to adapt and then make sure that you're just there for it. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I do, I've got a couple of clients that are on the West Coast and always at the end of the week, I start dreading the, hey, can we talk at, on Friday afternoon? And of course that's, it's family time and it's the yeah. weekend and yeah. granted, we know we're working all the time anyways, but yeah. there's just something special about those time zones that yeah, you, know, yeah. Yeah. you just gotta be responsive. You should try and give them a call on the Monday morning. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, let's shift gears a little bit. I, I noticed you put this QR code up on your screen. Um, yeah, yeah. And we've talked in the past about this passion project. I think they got, I'll ask you one first question. Tell us about uh, the list. So oh, uh, where to start and how to end it and how to keep it short. Um, not to say that I am uh, a consumer, not within moderation, because I am, but the list basically is a, uh, an independent bottling company. Um, independent bottlers, that term is a little bit lost in, in the world of today because you've got big brands like Diageo and the Pernary Cars and so on who come in and they swoop up all the, the small distilleries and, and leave very little over for traders who will come and buy leftovers and, and move that around. Uh, independent butlers, um, um, that term goes way, way back when. And um, that term was used for people who would basically, you know, move around with a couple of barrels in the back of their carts and go from one store to another and ask them if they wanted to buy, you know, um, um, a specially bottled um, uh, whiskey for, for their store. Um, very, very popular back then because that was the only real way of distribution. It was the trader who would be able to bring um, you know, some exquisite or exclusive um, um, and rare whiskeys to, to the different stores and, and, and grocery stores around. Uh, but then obviously, you know, once um, consolidation started happening, uh, I guess somewhere in the 80s and the 90s and so on, then all of that kind of disappeared. Um, when I joined EO, I never understood the whole thing about working on a business that is your passion. And that is something that EO taught me. And, and I never understood that before. Never really understood the concept or even knew about it. Um, and then when I, um, so a little bit to give you a bit of a, a background backtrack um, together. I started off in uh, corporate travel management, uh, catering for um, clients based in East Africa and Uganda and Kampala who were um, embassies, international organizations, petroleum companies, uh, shipping companies. The fact that I'm also French speaking made, made it in an English speaking country that by naturally we would be a magnet of spring, French speaking companies. And at a certain moment we had pretty much the whole corner uh, knocked out. The oil and gas companies, the shipping, the HR guys, uh, the construction guys, we had them all, uh, including all the you know, many European embassies and so on. Um, so when 
at some point, you know, you find yourself in a very small town and you want to create social connections. Um, and I was invited for, for whiskey tasting set up by a friend of mine who was actually also co-founder of the, the tasting society um, and, and started meeting some people. And before you know it, we started creating this um, thing on a, on a weekly, on a monthly basis. And it was just a couple of friends and then it grew and it grew and it grew. And a couple of years later, it was like, you know, people from the US embassy would move in and say, oh, I chose this posting because I was told by my predecessor that there is this whiskey tasting going on every month and I want to be part of it. And so they became part of their social calendar, right? So now in, in, in Uganda, people move in and move out. They, they just, it's a little bit like DC, right? You're here for a couple of years and then you'll move out because, you know, job takes you elsewhere. It's a jumping board. Uh, but there specifically because of, you know, the international organizations which fly in people, expatriates, and then they'll fly back out. At that time, my business was growing a lot. And, you know, there was, you know, as a family business, the working hours don't really apply. I just as we touched upon before. Um, our business kept on growing. My passion for whiskey, you know, kept on growing as well. Not that they were interlinked because my business was growing and I needed to drink more, but more because, you know, it was fun to keep on drinking with friends. And then sometimes I would invite some of my clients and my clients would invite some of their friends. And, and it, would, it would just keep on being very organic and very natural. And then fast forward, you know, the, the club soon became, like, like I said, regular fixture for people in their social calendar. And then, you know, we decided at some point, you know what, let's all get together, let's all pitch in and let's buy our own cask. Um, so we got onto it and we bought our own cask. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of more years, uh, in between met my fiance, who my wife now, but then my fiance, who also dearly enjoyed coming to the whiskey club. Uh, and to be very honest, neither of us were whiskey fans. Um, I only learned how to drink beer when I moved to Uganda. I was a vodka and orange juice guy before that. And so I discovered whiskey there as well. And, and my palate has gone from, oh, very soft and very, you know, conservative to now, oh, give me the pittiest and the heaviest and whatever else. I'm, I'm all, all over it. Um, and, and same for her. Um, I think that the, the hardest steps, um, and this is a little bit, you know, to give you a bit more context uh, on, and sorry if I'm jumping a little bit around, but give you a bit more context as how to I ended up here. Um, my mother and I, we realized that, you know, with my wife getting a really good job in, in DC and, you know, horizons could be looking elsewhere than just Africa. Uh, you know, we need to make a decision where are we going to continue keeping this business running or not. For my mother, many things have changed in the sector. And for me, it was still ever changing, but it was getting also quite clear that, you know, traveling back and forth between my, my wife or my wife, my fiance, then my wife now, based here in DC, the time zone difference and the commute back and forth, that was unsustainable. So we need to find a solution for this thriving business, which was still growing, which was doing really well, uh, which had a fantastic set of clients. And then, you know, if any of them see it, you know, thank you so much for, for, for the growth that you've helped us to go through. Um, and, and then taking the decision to sell our business wasn't easy. Uh, it was actually quite, quite difficult. But then, you know, with the right, um, um, right objective and the right conditions and then, you know, setting ourselves up with, you know, the, the right people to, to, to look at what our decision would look like in, in, in real sense. You know, we partnered up with an external company who clearly looked at everything that we were doing um, and then said, okay, your business is worth X and you should be able to sell it for this. Now that gave us confidence to say, okay, now we can, let's, let's do this for real. Let's, let's get out there. Um, and so we, we got out there, we started looking a little bit uh, for players outside and for players uh, within the market, and then realized that, you know, the person we were competing with the most, our closest rival, the best enemy, so to say, was um, the person who was going to buy our company. Um, now, in my, that sector, 
in East, in East Africa, it's very rare to see, you know, a merger of this type of thing, merger acquisition, and then eventually full takeover. Um, and I have to say hats off to him because he did it, you know, did it fully open, transparently, and so on, which is also still very rare in Africa. It's, it's very hard to see that happening that way because, it's, you know, this story is happening all the time and there's no real structure around it it's not like here where you can't you can get away with stuff right here you can't here you have to you you abide by the box there the box is loose you know i make you move the frame the way you want to um so at that moment you know when i realized that i was going to be here more more full time and then i also realized that you know my business is getting sold and it's gone and i'm i'm, I'm getting out um good friend of mine uh, also a whiskey fan uh, approached me and said you know what let's start a luxurious uh, a luxury travel business together and that luxury travel business um, will incorporate you know um, um, whiskey enthusiasts wine enthusiasts and so on and we'll do high-end african safaris and then focus on bringing in you know really exclusive spirits and wines and so on throughout their whole safari you know and my partner had you know still has this fantastic network uh, in place in, in in uganda in east africa and I had, you know, all the know-how. But then also I was based here in the US where market for luxury travel was just booming at that moment. And then unfortunately COVID hit and, you know, all of those dreams just really went down the drain and it was done. So this is a little bit the recap of where, I, how I've ended up here. But now how did I end up with the list? Well, you know, we still have this, this love for, for whiskey. We still have this love for, you know, independent bottling. And we thought that the first, you know, cask we did was such a fantastic event that we should continue doing this. So like anybody else, and then uh, in, during the pandemic, we all decided to, you know, we, my partner, business partner and I decided to get on a couple of Zoom calls and started, you know, brainstorming some ideas. And before you know it, the list was born. And it, it was really, really tough because there was, everything going on with the selling of the business or the business being sold. Then there was still a little bit of handover, which carried on even throughout COVID, you know, a couple of items. Then, you know, um, um, the list was, was born. We started working on, on all the different items from start to end, which, which, you know, made it a lot of work. It was just the two of us, you know, doing it straight from scratch. We're not going to hire anyone else. We're just going to do everything ourselves because, you know, it was the cheapest and we just wanted to make sure this was going to take off. Same time became a dad for a second time. So, you know, that wasn't, um, um, that was lovely and fantastic, but that didn't help to the mix of, you know, getting business done at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, then at that moment, um, here is the list. Uh, several months later, refine our practice uh, based on the refined practice of, of whiskey bottling that we've already had in the, in the past, you know, knowledge and experience that we accure, um, accumulated through that. Here we are uh, doing this business and, and now selling our, our bottles a little bit all over the world. Uh, I've got clients in Europe, got clients in East Africa, naturally, got some clients here in the US, uh, got a client in Papua New Guinea, all the way out there. If you hear me, you know who you are, um, you know, and, and very, very happy to see, you know, our, our bottles a little bit scattered all over the world. Um, you, you know, what you have to understand is that what we're doing is very normal. It's, it's, it's like selling, you know, a painting or whatever. It's, it's very straightforward. It's you buy, uh, you sell, you buy, you sell. You as a consumer, you buy, you drink, and then you buy again and you drink. Where we're trying to differentiate ourselves is to try and see, you know, like, okay, where do we get out the most from, from our passion? And it's to think really outside of the box. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, the, looking at a little bit this one-way model that many of the other companies are doing, this is not what we want to do. 
uh, we're trying to really make sure that the user experience is, is, you know, it's really fulfilled, that they enjoy what they're doing, that they keep on being engaged after they've bought that bottle with us, telling us how well they enjoyed it and us telling how other people are enjoying it and back and forth. And this is one of the QR codes here on the bottom is our Telegram channel. This is where I get very often pictures sent over from clients all over the world. And then, you know, they say, oh, I got a picture here of me drinking the bottle so-and-so, or it's I've landed and I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this, you know, beautiful location to 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 try out my whiskey uh, you know so if you, know, you scan the code and you want to join feel free um and so and then like you're, you're really Olivia, selling not just the product but the experience correct. and the community aspect correct um, correct which then brings that stickiness and that customer loyalty and the really you know creative way of building a brand you know one of the things that you just mentioned as you're telling your story that, that I wrote down on my notes was, you know, the selling your business and selling a family business. And I'd love to hear a little bit more around the emotion of, you know, many of our audience are entrepreneurs and depending on where they are in their life cycle, they could be contemplating a sale of their business, especially after the last two years of grinding it out and surviving. Um, but it gets emotional, right? It's your baby. It's something you created. It's something your family had. It's something that's been passed down in a generation. Talk to me a little bit about the emotions that you were going through or give some advice to those that are listening around the, the before as you go into that transaction or you go into that mindset of selling and then the, the aftermath kind of after you've done the deal and the dust has settled. Um, when I broke the news to my team that we were going to sell, I was extremely emotional. I could, I think it's still, I, I can still feel it in the, in the pit of my stomach that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to go through with this and I'm going to depart myself from this item that I, that I love so much that I've worked so hard for and, and that I've loved to share with you. And I've seen you grow through it. Many of our staff have been, were with us for many, many, many years, 10 years plus uh, very good staff retention. So it was, it was very difficult to go through that motion. So I would say my advice there is that if you want to break the news and you're borderline emotional about it, don't break it because you're going to be emotional about it. And that's a news that you cannot share with tears or, you know, I'm having well, I'm an emotional breakdown with it. It's, that just doesn't happen. Uh, you need to have someone who can break that news to the team as clear and concise and, and you know, the same line of tone of voice and so on. Uh, and if you can't handle that, don't. That, I would say don't do that. Now, when it comes through the transition itself, um, in our particular business, which is pretty much a borderline, you know, middleman business, you're between the airlines and the clients, and then you're making sure that everybody gets served the way, right way. Um, you, you need to do this quickly. You can't drag this out. So you need to have your plan in place to be able to transfer over as quickly as possible because client retention is key. It's key to make sure that your business survives. And if you don't have that, forget it. You, you, will, you will lose out on your sale. And by the time you come down to the last calculation of exactly how much he or she owes you and how much you owe them, then there is that whole business depreciation, which has just happened because many clients have fled because it took too much time. Uh, and also staff retention, the know-how is critical. So you also want to make sure that they're covered as much as possible. Um, as per the Ugandan um, um, uh, Labor Act, we had to make sure we paid out all our staff the way they were supposed to be paid out, but we didn't need to pay out their, um, 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 their um, seniority. 
So, you know, if you would fire someone, you would have to pay you know, X amount of months because they've been working for so many years. We took it upon ourselves to do that, although we weren't, we didn't have to. And it's not like a tax break or anything else. We didn't gain anything from it. But it, we knew that our teams would have this clean slate to start off with themselves to say, you know what? If I don't like this new boss, I can take off because I got my money. I got everything that I need, you know, and I don't need to to do something wrong to get fired and then poison my potential future employer, you know, um, prospect. And so we want to make sure that they were at any time ready to, to, to go. And I think that's also very critical when you're taking such a decision that you consider them as well. They may not want to stick around. They may want to move on as well and think about that in advance. And because that also gives you staff retention that gives you the opportunity for them to say oh, i'm going to stick it out one more month uh, maybe i'll you know it's getting a bit better or it's a bit rocky but i'll give them three months right and then and then that gives them an opportunity to start also looking for new work if they really want to and then still you know having their money already on their side and that's important and i think the last part about it about getting out and and, and handing everything over is that again back to the dragging out you have to make sure that you keep it as tight as possible that you have your Clear, clear deadlines. And if you're doing an earnout model, a little bit like what we did, you have to make sure that you're on top of that earnout model, like nobody's business. That needs to be done top notch. Because if it's not done actively, your clients will start sensing that there is something happening. Your potential buyer will take advantage of you on that. And then the team is going to say, okay, well, clearly, you know, there is many feet are being dragged around here. So you know, I don't know if this is a good idea. So I, I think that the last sentiment I had was to make sure you keep um, good relationships with the, whoever buys over your company. However difficult and rocky that path may have been, make sure you keep good relationships. Because one, you never know, you might be working again with them um, as a client or, you know, bringing some business to them. It's a business and people that you know. So if you want to bring in something from the outside into it or attach a new business model to it or, or something else, you know that business very well. So you know how to integrate it. And so that speeds up that process a lot quicker. Um, and hence, you know, the idea of this luxury travel system as, um, um, solutions that we were thinking of, that was exactly that. It's like work with the existing team. We've got all the resources on the ground. The people which are going to be managing my clients are people which I trained. So I know exactly what the product delivery is going to be. And it's, it's the same thing I, for any business, I would say. Uh, I mean, unless you just decide to go and, and collect uh, stamps and, and butterflies, then obviously you just can break break all ends. Yeah, the, uh, those, those were, and I find this over and over through my career path, you know, life cycle, whatever you want to call it. Those relationships are so important. And I've, in fact, I was talking to my coach yesterday about a previous partner I had many, many years ago, and he was doing things that I didn't really like. And that's one of the reasons we stopped doing business together. But at the end of it, and I was talking to her, she was still coaching me at the time. I said, I'm going to still be friends with this person. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And then fast forward, we're still friends. He's given me other business leads. You know, I see him probably once or twice a year. And so back to the point of maintaining those relationships in a sort of an honest and honorable way, I find comes back later in life to be rewarding. Yeah, if I may touch on that, um, you know the saying where you you don't poop where you eat, right? Uh, or you know the other way, but obviously a little bit more explicit. Um, in the world of today, you just cannot afford it because we're so interconnected to each other. Social media, email, I, I mean everything. We can just 
really right now i can send 100 emails and if i want to i can you know destroy you or destroy your reputation or whatever else um, even if it has negative publicity or positive publicity whatever it may be you're you don't have the same uh, facilities as you know maybe our grandparents had where you know if you drive out three hours nobody knows you and nobody will ever know you Right. And so so then you uh, okay, it doesn't really matter. So you you have to be very careful on on, on who you choose really to be your enemies. And 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 if you really gotta go down that path, it's because there is just there's no going back from from what they did. But I believe also that in majority of the cases, um everything is forgivable and, and you should be able to, you know, um, um make amends and and okay, at least turn the page. At least turn the page. You know what happened. So you can turn the page. You can always go back to that page and reread again where where everything went wrong. So one of just changing gears a little bit. One of my favorite questions to ask my guests is, you're looking back at yourself when you first started your entrepreneurial career. What advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now and the experiences that you've been through? Good question. Um, don't get bogged down in the detail. Try not to re and re and reorganize your desktop folder. Uh, you know, just because you're just never gonna just put everything in one folder. It's much easier. Uh, and then <laughs> I guess uh, take more time for yourself. Mental health, I think, is 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 clear. Um, especially especially in the world that we're living in today. I see it now. Both of my wife and I are working from home. It's the rat was was difficult before, but it's a lot harder now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially with the family and so on. Just take time. Be, you know, switch off your phone at this time. Adopt the French way, you know, after five o'clock, no calling employees or, you know, no calling clients, whatever else, you know, just do it because you need it. You need it. Otherwise, you will not succeed. You can succeed more by giving yourself more time um, to breathe, to think about it and so on. And, and our brains, you know, although they are fat as what I've learned recently, but they run full time, nonstop. They also need a break. Mm, powerful, really powerful. Yeah, the Europeans have a, a little different concept than us over here in the U.S., <laughs> which I can appreciate. So, Olivier, um, as we're wrapping up, how how can our audience members find you? Are you which social media platforms are you on? Obviously, you got your QR code up. That if somebody's watching this via video, you know, mostly this is going to be consumed audibly. So, where where can my or our audience find you? So I'm a I'm a big LinkedIn fan. I think it's um it's a little bit more of a, a good or it's it's more of a platform which I relate to versus you know the Facebooks and the Instagram and so on. Uh, although you can find me on the other ones as well. But if you really want to engage with me, I think LinkedIn would be better. Um, so you know the whole URL and then Olivier Megan can anyone go. Um, and then yeah, I'm a big convert to Telegram since I moved to the US. So I, I really enjoy Telegram and the channel itself. So you should be able to find me there as well. Uh, but otherwise, you know, if, if you don't know where to find me, uh, try and speak to the guy who spoke to me in this, in this podcast or in this video, he will be able to tell you where to find me. So that's right. And we'll, we will have your contact information that you've shared with us in our show notes, along with, uh, your links to your websites and to the list and all those fun gems that we've talked, talked about today. Yeah. Yeah. So Olivia, it's been great having you on the show. Um, I wish you the best of luck with your new children, your, your, your baby children. Um, I'm a, I'm in the middle of that journey. You know, my oldest is now 12 and I'm getting to the part where she's like, I really don't need, <laughs> need you in my life. So uh, <laughs> enjoy those special moments that you're, that you're going yeah. through right now. Yeah, yeah. And Thank hopefully you. you'll Thank get you. some sleep. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, eventually, yeah. So that's why the the lighting is just right, so it doesn't show too much. So. <laughs> and that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone.